2 Samuel chapter 7 verse 18 to the end Two Samuel chapter 7 starting at verse 18 and King David went in and sat before the Lord and said who am I O Lord God and what is my house that you have brought me thus far and yet this was a small thing in your eyes O Lord God you have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while for a great while to come and this is instruction for mankind O Lord God and what more can David say to you for you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name, and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its goods. And you established for yourself your, your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the words that you have spoken concerning your servants and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken and your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now therefore may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Thanks Hannah. And before uh, uh, we have a little exodus of uh, young people, if we need one, let's pray that God will help us to learn from the Bible. Before we go, let's pray. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Father, we do want to thank you very much for the way that uh, uh, the Bible speaks to us today, words from you to us, and we thank you for the way that it enlarges our hope and leaves us with joy and an opportunity to play a part in your purposes. Help us to understand how all that is true as we study the Bible together. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, again, I think Natalie is going to uh, leave uh, with her little uh, gang uh, into the room next door. And we're going to be looking a little bit more at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 and coming at it with a very simple question. And uh, I think you've got the uh, question on uh, the service sheet, and that is... Uh, do you have a real relationship with God? Or perhaps if you don't want it that personal, let me ask you the question this way. How do you know if someone has a real relationship with God? I mean, lots of people have the word God in their language, but don't really 
know him. But we're looking tonight at someone who did really know him. And so therefore we can find out from David as we listen to him tonight what it means to have a real relationship with God. Now, any relationship usually starts up with a conversation. And if you were here last week, you know that that is how chapter 7 begins. So God has a conversation with David, but very interestingly, he does it through a prophet called Nathan. So if I draw it like this, uh, a speech bubble, uh, and God's having that conversation, but it's through Nathan. Now that's something really interesting, because even David, who is God's chosen king, doesn't get a one-to-one with God in terms of hearing a voice from heaven. David hears God through a messenger. And that messenger speaks to David about his future kingdom and tells him that it is going to be a kingdom that lasts forever so that David is left as he faces the future with enormous hope. And that is how uh, God works to speak to his people. And you might just simply say that for us, the Bible is God's messenger to us to increase our hope, as it puts in front of us all that God is going to do in the future, the intention of the Bible is always to fill up people with new hope. And that makes a difference to how we live now. Now, a lot of people say, yeah, we go to church on Sundays, but really it's a world apart from what we're doing on the shop floor Monday morning. And when we get the shop floor in morning, why doesn't the preacher tell us how to be a better uh, double-glazing salesman or accountant or whatever it is that we might happen to be doing. Why doesn't the Bible tell us? Why don't preachers these days tell us about how the Bible impacts these everyday jobs that we do in the world of work? I want to suggest to you the way the Bible does that is by injecting us with huge hope and that does make a difference to the individual day-to-day jobs that we do. So to give you an example, think of two guys and they're both pressing buttons in a machine to make something. One guy's been told that at the end of the day he's going to get the minimum wage. The other guy has been told at the end of the day he'll get the minimum wage. But at the end of a year he'll get 20 million pounds. Do you think it'll make a difference to him the way he goes into work on Monday morning, Mm -hmm. if that's what's coming? Hope makes a difference. The first one is going to be working with a certain amount of reluctance and maybe even resentment. The second one is going to be working with joy and enthusiasm and energy. Why? Because of hope. When you understand what the future will be, 
it changes how you are in the day-to-day -day ordinary things that we do in the people that we are on Monday morning. And so the Bible speaks to inject hope. And if you ever are able to pick up the Bible and think of it as God actually speaking to you to enlarge your hope in Him, it will become a new book and you will become a different person. That's how relationships begin, by understanding the God who makes promises and enlarges our future. When you understand that, that's when a real relationship with God begins and it results in two things. The first is surprise. I want to use a different word rather than just simply praise. I want to use the word surprised joy because I want to talk about the wow factor because that's the effect the future has on David when he hears about it. You see, what had happened with David was he lived in this very posh, large house. As far as he could see, God lived in a tent, but not exactly God, but the Ark of God. Uh, that was a particular box that people associated with God's presence because it had things in it that showed them what God was like. And this Ark lived in a tent. And as far as David was concerned, that wasn't good enough. He wanted to build God a house like the one that he was in. But God turns around to David and says, through Nathan, God says to David, through the messenger, he says, no, I'm going to build you a house. Not a literal one, but like the house of Windsor. In other words, kings that go on forever, forever, forever. A dynasty where the throne of David will one day be uh, um, used for a king who will reign the whole world. And God says, I'm going to build you a house like that. And David says, wow, that is amazing. There's David in this house, and there's the tent, and, David, and God says to David, I'm going to make your house a kingdom that will last forever. And David, interestingly, in verse 18, leaves his big house and he goes into the tent in verse 18 so that he can be in God's presence, sit with God and say, God, this is absolutely amazing. Why would you pick on me to do so much for me and to promise me a future like this? And there's two things in David's mind when you listen to him uh, in his surprised joy in front of God. One is he says, God, you have brought me thus far. Do you see that in verse 18? Now, thus far, you may not think is very much, given the fact that David was born in Bethlehem, and now he's in Jerusalem, and that's just six miles away. What do you mean God has brought you thus far? It doesn't seem very far at all, does it? But then when you think, actually, thus far 
What does that mean? It means that God has brought him from being a shepherd boy to being a king. He has brought him thus far. And thus far, let me tell you, in that process of being brought from being a shepherd boy to a king, has spanned 19 chapters thus far of danger and escape and insecurity. And God has brought him thus far to establish him in safety and with a stable kingdom. So when he says thus far, it's not a small thing. But actually, David says it, it is a small thing. It's, verse 19, this is small fry compared to what you've just said. Because now I'm going to be given, uh, you've spoken also for your servant's house for a great while to come. In other words, now this kingdom of mine isn't just going to be thus far and six miles down the road, it's going to be hundreds of years in the future. And when David speaks about that, he's not just feeling some goosebumps about his own family and the future that he's got. He is seeing in verse 23 how amazingly precious God's people are to him. Do you see that? And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. So this is God wonderfully showing how he looks after his people. He didn't just simply get them out of Egypt where they were slaves and then told them, okay, so here's this new place you can get on, live, make a life for yourself from now on. No, if you look at verse 24, he goes on to say, and you establish for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. So in other words, what God is doing is he is giving the world an eyeful of what it means to be his people by looking at the way he dealt with this nation, bringing them out of slavery and giving them all uh, the uh, future that they needed, the security that they needed to show the world what it means like to be his people. Because you see in verse 19, that this is an instruction for mankind. It's not just for this one particular group. It's God's message to everyone in the world. Look, if you want to know what it's like to be my people, just have a look at what I did with them when I brought them out of Egypt and settled and blessed them in their new country. You want to know what I would do with my people? Have a look at them. You've got a concrete example or what it's like for me to be your God. And so David, in this wonderful way, has this surprised joy of seeing um, God's goodness to his people and through his people to the whole of mankind. He says, wow, how is it that I should be drawn into those purposes? That you want me to be a part of that? And my family to be a part of that. Now that is what it means 
to understand what it's like to have a relationship with God, has that penny dropped? So that you go and sit with God and say, how amazing that you would do this for me. That you've not just brought me thus far. Most of us, I think, if we be Christians, will know that actually God has brought us from sometimes a life of real despair thus far and made a difference in the present. But that's a small thing compared to the future that he puts in front of us. And he says, let me tell you what it's going to be like to be one of my people, for me to be your God. Has that penny dropped that we sit in front of God and say, wow, would you really do that? It takes me to uh, a couple of sisters that Jesus spoke uh, to in his time. One's called Martha, one's called Mary. Martha uh, was obviously a good cook and she was making this wonderful meal, uh, but really quite cross that her sister wasn't helping her in the kitchen, but listening to Jesus, telling her all that he was going to do for her. And yet Jesus says, it is Mary where the penny had dropped. She understood his greatness because she sat at his feet and said, how amazing that this is what you would be like for me. And if I can put it like this, chapter 7 is where David goes from being a Martha to being a Mary. Where he goes from wanting to do something for God and build him a house, where he goes instead and sits down at God's feet and says, how amazing that you would do this for me. And the penny drops when we become a Mary and understand what God is like, full of surprise to joy in our hearts, that that's what he would be like <coughs> for me. But the other thing that uh, uh, you see this feeds into is uh, this big word that I put in the notes called uh, supplication. I know it's a big word, but the good thing about it is it begins with S, and I wanted an S to go with surprise. So, uh, but look, Wayne Dagnum, you can just cross our supplication and put ask, okay? Because that's what actually it means, just to ask. And that's what David does, isn't he? He says, God, what you have said, please would you do it as you have spoken. That's what he says in verse 25. Now, Lord... O oh, oh Lord God, confirm forever the word that you spoke concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken. Now, a couple of quick pickups about prayer at that point, because it's still supplication, you could also say prayer. The first thing to say about prayer, or supplication, is that it is a wonderful way in which God draws you and me into partnership. Now, this is uh, where the artist gets a little bit uh, complicated. But um, <coughs> that's more a hand than a claw, if you wouldn't mind uh, seeing it like that. Uh, but it's where God draws us to be involved in what he is doing. So God doesn't just give us promises for us to read them on a piece of paper. He gives us promises so that we can then ask him as his partners 
to do what he has promised. That's what we are allowed to do. It is interesting, isn't it? We think that God makes promises and then we've got to do lots of work. No, God makes promises and then our part in the partnership is just simply asking him to fulfill them. That's how it's always worked. That's how it happens. That's how things happen. So to give you an example, remember we spoke about these people who came out of Egypt and started a new life. Remember we spoke about that earlier in these verses? But look, just flip back to see where that happened. In Exodus chapter 2, that's just the second book in the Bible and the second chapter of the second book. And you look at verse 23, and it's on page 46. In Exodus chapter uh, 20. Uh, to verse 23 you have this little example of how it is when God works to do what he has promised because people have asked him to so in chapter 2 verse 23 during those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help and their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God then what happens? God hears their groanings and remembers the promises, his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. You see? Prayer brings to mind God's promises, and then what happens? Chapter 3 is when it all begins to move forward. Moses is called to be their deliverer, and he delivers them. So, that's how partnership works with God. It's like God's promises turning on the green lights at uh, the traffic lights and you then can press your foot on the accelerator that takes the whole journey forward to where God intends it to go okay so prayer is partnership supplication is partnership but the other thing that this brings to mind is the contrast between big prayer and little prayer. Let me draw it in two little circles like this. <clears throat> this is big time prayer. David knows he's praying a big prayer in verse 25, and he says, Do as you have spoken. And he knows it's a big prayer because in verse 27 he says, Look, I would never dare to. Uh, uh, pray like this, but you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build your house, and therefore your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. In other words, I know I'm praying a very big prayer, but you've told me about this future, so now I'm going to pray the big prayer. And the encouragement, I think, from this chapter, if I can use this as God's messenger to us and talk about the Bible in that way, God is telling us, pray the big prayer. Our danger is we always pray the little prayer. So I get a headache, and what do I want God to do to take away the headache? In other words, I want God to answer prayer as big as a pill. The little circle. But... Can you see that the small pinpricks are there to get us praying for
for the bigger promises. So why didn't I pray the big prayer that God will bring a day when actually all uh, illness and discomfort and disease will be fixed forever? Pray the big prayer. Use the, 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 the little to trigger a prayer for the big. But of course, that will only happen if we are those who live with the surprise of God's big promises. And when we live with the surprise of the big promise, we will pray the big prayers. And when we have the little things that we see on our television screens and so on go wrong in the world, we'll go from pinprick to big promise. And we'll pray. Now let's bring all this to land and see how that might affect us. First, I guess, if we're new to Christian things, and we're wondering, how do we start a real relationship with God? May I suggest the best start point, like any relationship, is to hear someone speak to you. See the Bible as God's personal Nathan to you. A messenger that will tell you exactly what God wants you to know about his future. So you can then pray to him and say, God, I want to be a part of that future for myself. That's how a real relationship starts. What happens if you say, well, I'm not so near to things. I've been in church circles. I'm wearing the church T-shirt. What can I learn? Well, I guess the message from um, uh, God's uh, word to us tonight is, how much are you surprised? Are you someone, in other words, who spends a lot of time thinking about what your church commitments are and what you might do uh, to keep the machine uh, whirring round? Or are you someone who is able to sit down in front of God and say, God, how amazing that you would do all this and put this future in front of me? How amazing that you brought me thus far in my life? But that's just a small thing compared to all that you have put in front of me in all your promises. You see... I want to suggest that if we don't do that, we'll end up being a Martha in church rather than a Mary. And we'll be those who are very conscious about all the different things that we need to do, and that's ultimately where our minds will go, the rotors and the different uh, uh, tasks that we've uh, uh, got to do for uh, God's people. But important as they are, they will keep us in Martha mode rather than Mary. And the trouble with living in Martha mode is that we soon feel very exhausted and we usually feel pretty grumpy with the other people who aren't doing as much as we are. So, yeah, if we're in the church zone, then let me ask you to take that home and really, really think it through and live this week in surprised joy in front of God for all that he has promised. What happens if we are real believers and we know what uh, wonderful uh, truths that God has put in front of us? And uh, 
uh, we have seen the green light of his promises uh, so clearly, and particularly tonight, then wouldn't it be great for us to press the foot down on the accelerator and to see that God puts his promise in front of us in order to draw us into partnership? Will you see yourself as God's partner? And the way to be God's partner is to pray that what he has promised will come into effect. That's what David does. And would you as part of that desire to grow your prayer life into earnestly seeking God to fulfill his promises, would you learn to go from pinprick to promise? So that you go from the little circle into asking God to always respond to our prayer request by bringing the big picture. Jesus told us to pray like that, didn't he? May your kingdom come. We look at this actually in our midweek group last Wednesday. And it is just uh, uh, the prayer to uh, dwarf all other prayers. And when we find ourselves drawn into a relationship with God where, you he where we hear his promises, where we stand amazed, or even sit amazed as David did, and where we pray the big prayers for his future. That's when we re have a real relationship with this God. And uh, where, uh, in that sense, David has taught us well tonight. Well, as it says on our little sheet, we've got uh, 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 quick uh, questions and uh, hopefully quick answers too. Let's pray that God will help us. Maybe before we go into a formal prayer, why don't we just simply take a minute of quiet and talk to God ourselves about what He has said to us and ask Him to grow this hope in us that we might live in surprise and in supplication. Let's take a moment to do that and then I'll pray and then we'll have the Q&A after that. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for uh, the way that you uh, speak to us uh, through uh, messengers that's what uh, the Bible is, uh, a wonderful way of hearing you speak. And we thank you that whenever you speak and we listen and you tell us about the future, you fire us up with hope. Please help us to be uh, clear and uh, uh, confident and joyful because of the hope that you set before us. And we pray that you would please leave us surprised and amazed that we might be caught up in those purposes, that we might be drawn into your people, that we might be brought thus far, and yet that being small compared to the future far that you'd be taking us into. And we pray that you would please help us to be those who pray the big prayers for your kingdom. That our relationship with you might be deepened, 
and be real and bring glory to your name. Amen. Amen.